Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Listening. Oh, a bit croaky today, Mark. It is Brendan oh, here. Croaky. Episode 287 of The Vet Gurus, Thursday, the March, the March, the 23rd of the 2023. How are you, Mark? I'll put myself on mute while I do a quick cough. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm wonderful, Brendan. It's uh, We've had a couple of days up here on the tip of uh, Australia, on the tip of Cape York, where it's been um rain free we're expecting another uh weather event um at the end of this week and what rain rain and rain it is the wet season i've got a funny thing to tell you about the rain um we've been up here and uh we measure the rain and i think since we've gotten here we've had just over 1.6 meters of rain and we got the tanks mixed up We've, we haven't collected water for the premises with all, the whole time. So we're going to, yes, so we, we, um, we're expecting a weather event at the end of the weekend. I've got a funny story to tell you about weather events. Um, we've stuffed up as caretakers. We were supposed to um, collect water during the wet. We've had 1.6 metres of rain in the wet and um, we hadn't been putting it in the right tank. So we've got to count on this last deluge. Um, to top up the water supplies for the premise and get us through the dry. Uh, so you, I, I was worried there that you're going to say that you're the official weather keepers for the region that report to the Australian Bureau of Meteorology. Um, so you don't do any actual official weather recording? No, no, unfortunately we don't. Um, it would be interesting though because um, not there's the the... The Bureau, because there's a relatively low number of people on the Cape compared to other locations, the Bureau just does a bit of a generic, you know, the, the locality um, on the Cape doesn't doesn't really sort of segregate things. So we often get Bureau advice that it's going to rain, and it does on the Cape, but not here. And then other times it's supposed to be a sunny day and um, we get dumped on. So I'm not a big fan of the, uh, the way the... I am a big fan of the Bureau but not a big fan of the way they deal with the Cape. Interesting. Well, I think we've got to crack on, Mark, to our news stories because (laughs) you keep fading out a little bit um, and we're using Elon Musk's Starnet, Skynet, Starnet (laughs) equivalent, and (laughs) it may may stuff our, our recording this week. So you need to jump into your first news story and it's about sharks my first news story is about tiger shark well it's sort of not the tiger sharks are the protagonist but they're not the feature of the story um scientists have used tiger sharks by strapping little cameras onto them um so that the sharks which in the um bahamas they in the uh, um, oceans around uh, florida um, they go and hunt animals in the seagrass beds. And so um, scientists have been able to use the cameras to locate um, these, um, these uh, massive underwater forest meadows, they call underwater meadows. Um, they've got 
beautiful surveys because the sharks swim through these areas. Um, the, the article suggests that the sharks are like lions that stalk zebra through tall grass in the African savannah. Um, and uh, similarly, the sharks swim through the wavy seagrasses uh, looking for Stalking large scuba animals divers. Like... <laughs> <laughs> amongst other large animals to eat. Um, but uh, as a consequence, they've very quickly been able to build up a huge number of survey points which allow them to, uh, to map those seagrass beds. And, um, and crikeys, Brendan, the, the amount of carbon that is sequestered in those um, seagrass beds is, uh, is absolutely phenomenal. So it's, uh, um, they, they put away carbon at a rate 35 times faster than tropical rainforest. Um, this, this, the newly mapped seagrass prairie that we're uh, That's almost we're as fast as how you put, quick you put away beers when I mention I'm just going to have wrong. a drink right now. Yes. <laughs> no, just have it drinked and to ponder it. Um, yeah, but the, um, uh, the 630 million metric tonnes of carbon, um, a quarter of the carbon that's trapped by seagrasses worldwide. So um, a very, very important resource to, first of all, map so that we can understand it and uh, critical role played by sharks with cameras that um, to is the an interesting story mark and we will link to that vetgurus.com head over to our website there if you haven't if you've only just become a listener or, or a subscriber and have a poke around and we will have the link to that particular story as we will to our next story mark which is a very quick one here that is based uh, it's a that's a survey um adult, adult, animal medicines australia's latest pets in australia study Found an estimated 28.7 million pets, Mark, are now calling home to around 6.9 million households in Australia. And a couple of the wow. key facts with this 69% of households across metropolitan, regional, and remote Australians are now home to one or more pets. And again, 28.7 million pets. 85% of pet owners, Mark, say their pet has a positive impact on their life, which is not. Unsurprising as far as we're concerned, we certainly know having pets makes you feel good. Um, one of the one of the comments I mentioned there, I found very interesting. Mark, sixty eight percent of respondents said they had considered not going to the vet when they needed to, driven partly by comments. Are you there, Mark? Yes, I'm back. I've um, just had a little <laughs> quiet time by myself in the corner. And you, while you were talking about 68% of people considering <laughs> not going to the vets when they needed to. Yes. Um, and partly driven by cost consideration. Cost, yes. Um, so, that's, that's a little bit of a surprise. Yes. Uh, well, c conversely, they mentioned in that 27% of pet owners are typically middle to higher income families care and quality is what they want a key driver of their approach to pet cares and obviously pet cares can uh, stretch their budget as they as, as they um, put it in this survey to take their animal to pet uh, to the vet etc so yeah. what's the takeaway should be should we be um should we be pampering and and, and um chasing those middle to higher income people although i must say mark i've had some bad experience with some people 
I don't know what's the money. I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, I, I was going to say to you that the <laughs> yes. survey owners, the the serve the the serve the people who are surveyed who said they had considered not going to the vet because of money, I suspect a significant number of those people thought about it and then went, "Oh bugger it, I'm going to the vet because I love my pet." And like you said. I, they're probably some of the best clients that we have. They still want the best service. They just are, you know, it is expensive. Quality vet care is expensive. And um, and uh, and whether you have to make a decision about buying more chocolate or uh, a new speedboat or, or um, look after your pet, <laughs> getting, finding a market for your kidney. Um, but, but um, those clients who are sometimes of uh, not generous means um, struggling to find a way to pay for um, things that they want for their pet often end up, in my experience, to be some of the best clients. Well, I know I've mentioned this before to you, Mark. I, I had great fondness of working in a very low economic region of Melbourne, Mark, for many years um, at a clinic where the, the clients were lovely and, and they would yeah, bend over backwards to try and, you know, rally up enough money to pay for the cruciate surgery on their dog. And, you know, they'd say, look, we'll find a way. Um, if yeah. we have a family and we will find a way. Where I, as I sort of hinted, I've had, had the opposite with some, some people who, who roll up in their very very expensive automobiles and um, then will try and uh, try and barter with me, try and try and knock my price <laughs> down. Um, perhaps that, that's where they got where they got, Mark, um, by, by um, being tight with me. I'd be interested in any of our listeners' thoughts on this sort of um, process of um, different types of clients of how much they're willing or not to spend. Send us an email, vetgurus at gmail. Brendan, yes. I can't see in the article, but um, does is there the this the number has risen? The percentage of households uh, is has that gone up since the last survey? Um, yeah, I, I think down at the bottom there they talk about forty eight up from forty eight percent up from forty percent was one of the um, links. There, yeah, statistics. Was... Which was dog owners having at least one dog mark forty eight percent up yeah. from forty percent, and item number two there you can see I've researched this very well having at least one cat thirty three percent up yeah. from twenty seven percent and fish twelve percent versus eleven birds eleven versus yeah. nine small mammals four versus three reptiles three versus two so still everything's jumped number wise it's still a, a fair number but small mammals and reptiles four and three percent. Niche. But fish, Mark, fish, 12%. And birds. Richmond. So there we go, Mark. That's my little story that dragged on a little bit longer than what, what I thought it would. And when I, I, have that I, have that I have that effect on you. So let's jump into the main, which is going to be an interesting one, Mark, our main story or our main topic this week. And you wanted to do frilled lizards, Mark, top 10 something or other of frilled lizards or the um, frilled net lizard or the frilled dragon, depending on which uh, 
we want to call this species. Um, what do you want to talk about, Mark? What's the 10 things you want to get stuck into? Let's do the first one. Well, just before I start, I was going to say how much I do enjoy these little uh, focused one, uh, species focused uh, podcasts that we do. I think um, we range around a little bit in other podcasts, but I love these ones. So the first, number 10, on my list of 10 things that veterinarians should know about frilled neck lizards um, is that um, amongst all our reptiles and exotic and unusual pets that make up 4% of the pets that are owned in Australia, um, but more than many, many others, husbandry is crucial. Um, they have an unusual set of circumstances in the wild and uh, many of the disease processes that veterinarians have to deal with them are the direct consequence of husbandry. So make sure you're aware there are a number of excellent and very extensive resources on the nest about husbandry. Um, and, um, and, and a lot of those things focus on humidity uh, because in the wild they have, uh, they um, where and having seen them in the wild up here, that's what's triggered many of my thoughts. Um, yeah. They have a very, very wet season and then a very, very dry season all the time with relatively high temperatures. And that's an unusual husbandry arrangement um, that, uh, that people need to wrap their head around. Husbandry is crucial. And we don't often talk about to clients or generally about the suitability of certain pets and I think sometimes it's good to classify them into you know beginner intermediate and advanced care mark um, as far as pets and I certainly wouldn't be popping these one into the beginner category no no they are they are in my mind um, um, a more advanced herpeticulturist would uh, would be the our target owner market for these guys yep. so number two mark Number two is that they are surprisingly active animals. They, um, they are very, very mobile. Um, they do a lot. Um, and so in the wild, they range over a vast distance. They're arboreal. They spend a lot of time in trees. And um, so their enclosure needs to be dis disproportionately large. Um, and it needs to be uh, set up with climbing arrangements, particularly some uh, vertical trunks um, on which the lizards feel very comfortable, uh, as well as some um, uh, foliage hidden branches. They tend to feel most secure um, with uh, those sorts of arrangements. So uh, large enclosures, um, large enough to ha have a small bush, and if not um, a bush, then some sort of artificial arrangement that mimics a bush trees and big enclosures number three. Oh, i'm going backwards i'm up to number eight i'm number going eight. down <laughs> um their preferred body temperature is higher than you would expect brendan um so uh, many of the monitor lizards and dragon lizards that come from desert regions um uh, have higher body temperatures some even approaching um the body temperatures of some mammal species that we deal with and um, uh, uh, bearded dragons we normally like to see sort of 32 to 34 um, and we probably need to add a degree to that uh, for our frilled necks their preferred body temperature sort of sits around 34 uh, between 34 and 35 so a hot spot in yes. that we always need to remember 
that in their enclosure you need a thermal gradient with a very a hot spot above the PBT and they can uh, reach that end. PBT, yes. Um, and so a minimum temperature of 38 degrees in the uh, under the heat spot is uh, important in that enclosure. And it's important to remember to place that uh, hot spot in a place that they feel comfortable. As I said before, they do most of their basking in trees, so it's not a very good thing to stick the hot spot down there on the ground where the animal is going to be stressed and not spending as much time as they normally would. Excellent points, Mark. Number seven or six? What are we up to? Seven. We're up to number seven. We're down six. to number seven. seven. Down, no, down seven. seven. We're at seven. Um, so number seven is um, that they are a species. Um, if uh, you get to the point where you've kept them for a while and you keep males and females together, they will breed. And, um, and uh, the eggs uh, exhibit temperature-dependent sex determination. And so uh, lower temperatures... Uh, lead to a preponderance of females. This is a little bit unusual. It's a, a thing that happens in uh, crocodiles and turtles, um, but uh, also happens with our with our um, uh, krilled dragons. And so, uh, it's good if we can aim for temperatures, uh, incubation temperatures that are twenty nine or thirty degrees, uh, cooler temperatures, and that will lead to a preponderance of femalism. Temperatures number six, Mark. Number six is diet. Um, as adults, they are um, more, well, they're more insectivorous than, um, you know, the other main agamid lizard that we see in, in veterinary practice. Um, so adult um, bearded dragons will consume a considerable amount of plant material. Um, frilled neck lizards will have a go at some plants. Uh, but it forms a relatively small part of their diet. They're really keen on insects. Um, so uh, um, you need to um, have a, a good variety um, of a relatively large number, and, uh, and they prefer larger-sized insects, you know, the adult cockroach sort of size. Um, crickets, uh, the, they are really are much more interested in those large ones rather than the tiny ones. Ah, and I can see why we're not recommending this species for a beginner, Mark. Number five. Oh, number five um, is um, that they they are one of the species that have um, an obligate requirement for ultraviolet light exposure. You can't mess around um, with poor quality or absent ultraviolet light with this species and expect to do well. They need a very, very large amount of um excellent high quality full spectrum light so they get excellent exposure to ultraviolet light which leads me brendan on to number four the last two number six and number five talk about diet and exposure to ultraviolet light and that leads on to the most common reason that i get to see young frilled neck lizards uh, in uh, you know they're brought in by uh, people who have bought them haven't yes. known exactly what's going on and they end up very, very quickly with metabolic bone disease. And particularly, um, the young ones will do the whole shaky bearded dragon-like thing. But I definitely see a large number of sub-adults that have rubbery bones, rubbery jaws. and. Well, Mark, we had a bit of a glitch there, but you're going to talk about number four, metabolic bone disease. 
I was. Um, number six and number five led me straight into the discussion about one of the most common things I see, particularly with young frilled neck lizards, um, is metabolic bone disease. I occasionally see the sort of uh, shaky, low calcium, low blood calcium, low muscle calcium, tremulous lizard, but much more commonly I see the weak, soft, um, often non-specific signs. Um, sometimes rubbery jaws. Um, they do a lot of rubbing of their uh, nose against the glass in some enclosures, and um, and you will see some of these metabolic bone disease lizards as a result of that pressure have very deformed shaped jaws, uh, leading to malocclusions. But uh, but certainly metabolic bone disease is one of the common reasons we see them. And if you're talking to a new owner, make them aware that they need to be well on top top of the diet the calcium to phosphorus ratio and ensure excellent exposure to high quality full spectrum light. Great points, Mark. We're getting close to number three. Number three. We're going to finish with um, the top three things are the remaining most common diseases I see. But before I go into them, Brennan, I just want a quick side note. Um, I wanted to mention that these lizards are such good anaesthetic candidates I've frequently used uh, butorphanol as a pre-med, um, wax and alfaxan into them and then maintain them on isoflurane. They're relatively easy to intubate and so they are good anaesthetic candidates. I encourage people to do surgery on them um, if they need to, um, and they may, um, but not because of number three. Number three, the third most um, a common reason I see them uh, in veterinary practice are respiratory infections, Brendan. And I have a little bit of a theory here. I think that in the future we will find um, that 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 um, that they are a little bit exposed to uh, respiratory infection risk as as a result of um, one of those uh, viruses. I reckon we're going to find a virus situation because my experience has been that they are indolent cases. Um, I, they haven't responded to treatment for mycoplasma. They're often partially responsive to treatment for gram positives. Um, uh, they, their simple sac-like lung and air sacs make uh, respiratory infections a, a nuisance to try and resolve. Um, I do think uh, appropriate quarantine is a critical thing so that if there is a, a virus or some other pathogen that's um, triggering these things um, that, uh, that they don't get into the collection. Um, uh, but the majority of cases I see respond to a degree to um, treatment for gram negatives. We do culture them um, and we have cultured gram negatives. Um, obviously the mycoplasmas and the viruses are not easy to show up in those uh, samples, but I, I expect that we'll discover in the fullness of time that these are complex respiratory problems. Um, and husbandry plays a result in them getting away. Very interesting, Mark. I love your theories as always. So what are we left with? Number two and then number one. Number two, I wanted to, yeah, I know, we're almost there. Number two is one that I um, I wanted to touch on because in overseas countries, particularly America and Europe, these lizards are well known to have uh, uh, parasitic problems. And and uh, they range across northern Australia and into New Guinea and into uh, West Papua, where that part of Indonesia, where um, exports are at times legal. So animals can be collected from uh, the wild and end up in the pet trade in Europe 
and um, America. And those animals obviously have been through a lot to get there. And uh, if they are carrying parasites, then they will be not not very good at all. Um, and so particularly uh, ascarids uh, cause a lot of problems in those stressed animals. Um, and um, we do see Coccidia cause a, prob a significant problem with them. Interestingly enough, the captive population in Australia, um, I don't see large uh, um, amounts of parasite problems. It does seem to be much more a problem across the US and the, these lizards in the US and in Europe, Brendan. Ah, and what? I've got a question about that, but to, um, we'll leave that to the end. <laughs> number one, Mark, number one. The number one problem with these lizards is that when they're well kept, when you have all the husbandry perfect and you feed them well, they have excellent exposure to sunlight, the humidity is appropriate and the year cycles between wet and dry, um, they become reproductively active and they develop uh, problems with the reproductive tract. It might be follicular stasis, um, the females mainly. They might end up with dystopia. Um, and so uh, being aware, uh, particularly in the spring, um, in November and December here in Australia, um, a female frilled neck lizard that uh, is looking a bit uh, down uh, off of food and um, otherwise has been doing really well. Reproductive tract problems are a real, real issue um, and often require the um, surgical interventions that we were talking about anesthesia facilitating earlier. Uh, don't be afraid to open these guys up and have a look inside. Um, and sometimes you've got to take those static follicles out um, to relieve the pain and discomfort they cause. Very interesting mark and my sort of related very related comment is mark how many of these do you see or have you seen in practice i must admit i reckon i've probably seen well less than 10 and probably well less than five in practice isn't that interesting because um I, I... well i don't there might be some more <laughs> in melbourne that, that see them but certainly not me yeah yeah um, uh, uh, it is a species that has definitely gotten more popular. Um, when we first, uh, when the legislation changed in New South Wales and people were allowed to uh, keep reptiles legally, um, we didn't get to see very many of them at all. But um, we would see uh, 10 or 12 uh, frilled neck lizard clients each year. Um, we would regularly see these lizards. Mm. Now I've got a question for you to finish up with about frilled neck lizards, Brendan. Um, they do, they can end up with some um, lesions in, on their frill, and um, and uh, uh, and those lesions can compromise blood supply and lead to uh, avascular necrosis, and you end up with a hole in your frill. Um, mm. Does it ever grow back? It's a loaded question, there, Mark. I suppose it depends on how, <laughs> how big the hole is and where the hole You're is. You're exactly right. Is, is what I would be saying. Do many of those end up having a secondary sort of fungal infection as part of that um, process? I think they do. I think um, the avascular part of the frill, which will fall off, um, is often contaminated with, a, depending on the circumstance, it might be Dermatopolis or um, uh, possibly one of the fungal pathogens. Uh, complicate the compromised um, circumstance. And as usual, Brendan, it can be a little bit hard to separate 
cause from um, complication, you know, what with chicken and egg, which one came first. Um, but my experience has been really bad at getting these holes to, to fill in. They, um, they, they, uh, um, they tend to remain. Um, and so finding one of these uh, uh, lizards with a hole in its bill is not a big surprise. Yeah. They do look a bit sort of moth-eaten, don't they? They can. Well, fascinating, Mark. You've enlightened us all as ever. And uh, I feel jealous of that you've seen that many furred lizards. Um, if any of our listeners have found them, send us an email, vetgurus at gmail.com and tell us your experiences with them and um, whether you've had any experience with holes in frilled neck lizards, amongst other issues. And with that, Mr. Outro's here, and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.